God, that is our prayer. We just want to be with you. You are the king of glory. Now, God, there's no safer place to be in your presence than when we're in your word. And God, wherever we are today, around the country and around the world, let your presence just come and settle. As the word goes forth, I pray lives will be changed today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. I was doing a Instagram live interview a few weeks ago with the pastor and we were just speaking on leadership things and guiding a church through this pandemic and really just a number of things uh, of what is happening to the church during this time. And then we got to the final, the final few minutes and he said, hey, can we just do a speed round of random questions? I said, absolutely. And it was various questions. It was questions from, do you, would you rather have pancakes or waffles? Which the answer is waffles because those crevices hold the syrup in there too. What is your favorite book? You have 17,000 in your library. What's your favorite book? And then he asked me this question. What's your favorite quote? From all the books you've read, what's your favorite quote? Without batting an eyelash, I knew what that was because it has a story behind it. It's from somebody who's had a great uh, influence in my life, and I'm glad that I had the time with him. I know he's not only affected me, but even the overseer of Times Square Church, Pastor Carter Conlin, I know he's had an impact on his life. He was a spiritual general for many, many years. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. With some amazing books, uh, uh, Why Revival Tarries, uh, Sodom Had No Bible, a number of great books. I had a, had a passion to see revival take place. But there was one thing that Leonard Ravenhill said that literally has brought um, a discipline to my life that I want to share with you today. And it was this, without batting an eyelash, I said to the interviewer this, here's my favorite quote, to be much for God, you must be much with God is what Leonard Ravenhill said. Let me say that again. To be much for God, you must be much with God. Now, let me tell you why that quote means something to me and why this has value in, in even my journey. When, when I was in Detroit for a number of years, um, almost 30 years and pastoring down there, we were watching God do some amazing things at our church. And God was doing some incredible things in our lives. And then I felt and that the voice of God was speaking to my soul and my heart and saying to me, I want more time with you. I want, I want you to be in my presence. Just like Ivory was leading us with King of Glory, um, that, that God wants us to be in his presence. And God was calling me to that moment. God was calling me to that season and saying, I want you to come closer to me. Now, let me just say this. I didn't do what God asked me to do when he asked me to do it. And let me explain why. There was great things happening in Detroit. We were so busy that I was choosing good things over the best thing. I was choosing um, church things over the better place. I was choosing, in a sense, Martha over Mary. When God was asking me to come to his feet, um, I was too busy at that time to do it. Well, what's interesting is that God asked me at that time, opened up a door to enter into another season of our life when we left Detroit and entered into one of the, one, a very uh, difficult season and a hard season of my life in some years to come. And I began to see what God was doing to get me ready for the next season that I was about to go into. And when I did finally listen to what God asked me to do, I did it when we entered into that, into that season, but not when he asked me to do it. I, my mind went back to something I remember um, 
a tremendous woman of God with YWAM, Joy Dawson, said this about obedience. And I thought about this for me. She said, let me tell you three things about disobedience. And, and this always stuck with me. She said, delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And obedience with murmuring is still disobedience. Mine was delayed obedience. I knew what God was asking me to do, but I found a lot of other things to do until God put my back against the wall that I, is, is when I started to obey that. That in a sense, here's what happened. I obeyed, obeyed out of desperation instead of obeying out of obedience. It was, it was, I was desperate with my back against the wall. Despair drove me to what God asked me to do, which was to spend more time with him instead of love driving me there and when God was asking me to do, to do this. And it has been a new discipline. When God asked me to do this, to spend more time with them, it, it, it started to become a new discipline of my life because I knew I was supposed to start earlier that God was now asking me, saying, I'm going to get you to where I need to get you. But it's so much easier to listen to me tell you than for me to force you to do it. Let me tell you where my mind came and my heart came. I want to read to you a passage of scripture that started to challenge me. And I think this is important, both as we've gone into this uh, pandemic and this COVID-19, and even as many of us are coming out of it. Some of your churches may even have met meeting it with certain increments in the church, but there's something really important here, not just during a pandemic, not just during a quarantine, not even just during while we're kind of venturing back into normal life, but this is something that needs to stay with us because I knew when, when God was putting my back against the wall, it wasn't from a quarantine, but he was still using desperation. He was still using the, a painful situation to get me where I need to be. Listen to these words from Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I will instruct you, God says, and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Wow, this is, this is a contrast that David gives us in the book of Psalms. It says, there's two ways to do God's will. It's either by letting his eye counsel you, just, just the, the simplest thing from the master, and I'll explain that in a second, or you've got to be pulled, horse and bridle, like, like the horse, he says, um, to, be, to be pulled in, or the mule. He says, this is two ways to obey God. My way that I listened to, I was, I was the horse and the mule. God had to put bit and bridle to go, I've asked you to do this, for your benefit, for your life, to bring you to the place that I wanted you to go. See, the words that stand out to me here is when he says, when he says in, in, this play, in this verse, he says, I will instruct you in teaching the way you should go. Think, think of those words for a second. Should go means that God will direct you, but God will not make you go. He's, he's saying, this is the path that I want you to go on. Just because God gives the direction doesn't mean that the people of God are always obeying starting with me. And that's why he always tells us the way we should go and not must go because he wants you to respond when he tells you to respond. You know, I was looking at this passage and there was a phrase here that was really important. It says, I will counsel you 
with my eye upon you. This is really important in hearing what God is even speaking to us. And so that we're not ending up on the verse nine part of the horse and the mule, but we're staying on the verse eight part, which deals with, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Listen to what, listen to this, this phrase. I will counsel with my eye upon you. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, wrote a three volume commentary called the treasury of David. Any comments on this verse? This is what he says. He says, to be counseled with my eye upon you, he says, it is the picture of a banquet to have, a, to have the head of the home with his servants, we would see them as a, maybe a waitress or a waiter, along the wall, and it said, there would be no verbal communication between the host and the servers. He said, they would know from the slightest facial movement, especially the eyes, when it was time to serve, when it was time to take away the dishes, when it was, when it was time um, to, to serve another course. They said it was the servant's eyes that were so attuned, or the, ser- the servant's eyes were so attuned to the master's eyes that not even, there didn't even need to be speech between them because they knew what the master was doing. This is what Spurgeon was saying. He was, he was saying this, it is the guidance from the slightest, for us, David was telling us, it's guidance from the slightest movement of God. We don't need him to yell. We don't need him to thunder. We are always having our eyes fixed upon him. Another phrase would be the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And this is so important. He doesn't need to yell. He doesn't need to thunder. But what he is doing is he just needs to be looking in our direction. He just needs to be, he just needs to be um, in the room. And we're looking at him going, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? The man that God used to start one of the great, the first great awakening in the United States, Jonathan Edwards said it like this. He said, the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving, then move in that direction. Not needing a yell, not needing a thunder, but just our eyes are upon him. Where is the sovereign redeemer moving? What is he saying? What is he doing, doing during, during this time? And is he, will we allow him to guide us in those paths that he wants to bring us? Or we find ourselves on the other side of verse 8 and verse 9. Is it always being dragged along like the mule and the horse that he has to put bit and bridle and go, I want you to go here. This is the way you should go. And, and, and are we moving in that direction? For, the, for us old guys, some of you remember the old black and white TV series, The Lone Ranger. This is the, this is the Clayton Moore one, not the Johnny Depp one that, that this generation has watched. It's really interesting because um, in, in the first episode of The Black and White with Clayton Moore, it tells you how he get, becomes the Lone Ranger, how a group of rangers are ambushed in a valley and he is the only, the lone survivor and becomes the Lone Ranger. The second episode is just as interesting. It's how Silver the horse became actually Silver. While they left him for dead in, in the valley, Lone Ranger comes up, finds a white horse, that was running wild in that desert canyon. He finally ropes the horse in, and every time he sits on it, the horse threw him off, and he would get back on it. And the bottom line is that the Lone Ranger got on that that horse and kept getting on it and getting on it until that horse, what, what they call, was broken. That he was no longer, that the horse realized he was no longer in charge. See, when the Lone Ranger began to take over the reins and the horse was not allowed to do whatever he wanted to do, 
what would happen was he would be coming out of his wild state. And now, listen to this, now that horse, God, God begins to, or that horse now begins to get to do things it never could have done on its own. That's exactly what happens to us. When God begins to not to break us and to begin to not always have to lead us with, a, with the bit and the bridle, we get to do things that we never would have done. We would be still just going around and tromping around wildly in a desert. And God is going, if you let me be in charge, if you let me counsel you by my eyes and guide you with my eyes, then I can bring you to places that you would never go. But why is it always that it has to be pain that brings us there? There was a hairstylist that I had the opportunity back all the way back many years ago in Detroit to lead to the Lord. And when this pandemic started two months ago, I got a phone call from her and she just asked me this question. She just goes, Pastor Tim, I'm just wondering, what is this all about? Is this end times? Is this apocalyptic? What we're facing with a world shutting down? This is when the world didn't know what tomorrow held. Is this pandemic... Um, the rapture coming? Is it, is it the book of Revelation? And this is what I told her. I said, listen to me close. I said, I can't speak to that specifically, but what I can say is this, what the planet is experiencing is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call back to priorities, back to first things first. I said, that's what we can say, that what is happening during this time is a wake-up call like, like me, who would not do what God asked me to do when God asked me to do, I have this sense that God says at the snap of a finger, a virus can literally put, stop everything on the planet, put our backs against the wall and say, will you obey me now? Will this always be horse and mule? Will this be bit and bridle to bring you to where I need, what I need to do in your life? That what you wouldn't do as an individual a family, a marriage, even a nation, now we're being forced, even, even over this quarantine time, when, when we were in quarantine, to deal with things. I, I was telling my children um, when all of this started, I said, thank God we have fought hard to have a healthy marriage. Uh, thank God we have fought hard to have healthy relationships with our children. This is what I told them. I said, can you imagine if we didn't like each other and for these six, seven, eight weeks, we were stuck in a house and, and there's not silence, but there's joy. We get to spend time together. Think of those that didn't deal with a marriage, didn't deal with a child, didn't deal with a situation. And now you're forced to look at it face to face, look at them face to face every single day. What God is saying is, is that if you wouldn't deal with it when I asked you to deal with it, if you wouldn't deal with your marriage when I asked you, I'm going to put you in a quarantine. I'm going to put you in close proximity that you have to speak to it. You have to deal with it. You have to begin to, 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 to look and to see change there. And, and here comes, let me, and, and that's why I think this is a season of a wake-up call. I want you to listen close. As I was praying about this, I want to read to you something that my heart thought about as we're, as we're getting close to coming out and all different coming out of what is considered these, these, these quarantine conditions in some states and some countries are, are, are out of it. Here's what my fear is coming out of this that we'll forget. My heart went back to plague number seven in the book of Exodus that I want to read to you. This was when there was hail and thunder that was coming from, from heaven. And, it, and, and Pharaoh says it's too much and says something that is so 
powerful that you're going like, wow, this man's changed. Something has taken place. Listen to what it says in Exodus 9, 27. It says, then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to him, listen to these words. This is Pharaoh. I have sinned. Man, that's a great time for the music to start and, and, and for him to become born again. He said, I have sinned. He said, the Lord is the righteous one and me and my people are the wicked ones. This is Pharaoh saying this. This is an, this is an exodus. This is, you're going something broken. Th things are going to be different. Plague number seven was, was it. Thunder, thunder and hail. He says, make supplication to the Lord. There's been enough of God's thunder and hail. Moses says in verse 29, as, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands and, and to the Lord and thunder will cease and there will be hail no longer and you will know that the earth is the Lord's. So Moses went out, verse 33 of the city, from Pharaoh, spread out his hand to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and rain no longer poured on the earth. Now, listen to verse 34. This is what we need to know even as a country. Listen to this. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, the clouds have cleared, he sinned again and hardened his heart again. This, this is a wake-up call to us. It was a wake-up call when God says, I can put your back against the wall because I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. And I also think this is a wake-up call when I read this, that Pharaoh says, we need to get out of this. Please stop this hail and thunder. Please stop it. And the Bible says, when it stopped, he went right back to the same old thing. God forbid for us as a people, as a family, as a church, and even as a nation, that we would find ourselves going back to that place. This is, this is God beginning to say, let, let my word guide you, not a painful experience. So let me read to you a verse that I think God has been speaking to me through this pandemic, but really spoke to me all the way back when I didn't obey him the first time. I want to read it to you out of the Good News Translation because I think it sums up what we're saying here. I want you to write this verse down and I want you to hold it close to your heart. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 30. This is what it says. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Let me say those words again. Let them sink. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. I, this is God speaking to us. This is God speaking to us individually as a church, as a nation, and as a planet. He's, he's speaking to change our ways that what you wouldn't listen to his voice. He said, I can get bitten bridle to get you there but I don't want to live that way. See, what is it? Think about this. What is it that God is wanting to change in you? What is it that God is wanting to change? It, it, that I want to use this time that God has given us so much. When we come out of the season, can we say that there was more that we're coming out with, that the change has happened then maybe I binge watched this and I saw all the episodes of this and um, I downloaded all this. Was there more that, that, that God was wanting to do in this season? I don't want to waste this painful season. See, I think the goal is to leave this season with new vision, new values, and even new mission. I, what, what are you evaluating now? What, what have you evaluated? 
What priorities are moving back to the top? Why? And, and, and I keep asking myself, if I'm reevaluating things, why did it take a painful, a painful experience like Proverbs 20:30 is saying to make me even evaluate that very thing? L- listen real close. I want change in my life based on God's voice, not painful experiences. I, I, I want to I repeat that. I want God to change me by me listening to what he says more than my back getting pushed against the wall. I think sometimes so, so many of us change in our life. We, we, we invoke change after we have made the, the catastrophic move or the catastrophic mistake. I, and some of us don't change until the damage is already done. I don't want to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. I don't want to live changing when damage is done. I want to hear his voice. I want, I, want, I want him to counsel me with his eye upon me. I want to be able to see the slightest movement. I want to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that, that just the slightest thing, I'm going, God, I got it. I'm moving. I'm moving on that very thing. I, I, I want, if God's calling me to prayer, I want it to be my lifeblood. It's, it's like Corey Temboon said this. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Man, I don't want prayer to be a spare tire that I only use it in case of emergency. I want it to be the thing that guides me every single day. That's what I want for God to do. Let, let me tell you personally, and maybe you could be challenged by this, what came out of that season, what is still is part of my life now, and what is, what is really important to me. And, that's, and that was really reminded of me the other night when I was leaving our office here at Times Square Church. And one of the staff um, that was in that day just asked me this question, said, where, where are you going? They were just um, wondering, I, my, my, my family's not here yet and we haven't moved here yet. And so um, the, I'm real limited really on movement here in a city that's on lockdown. And I just told them, I said, I'm fulfilling my night season, my night watch. And then I told them a story of what began to take place and what has happened in my life. It was reminded of me because a pastor from the Midwest was asking me a question. He said, Pastor Tim, I feel like some things in my life are flatlining that, that even where I'm at, he says, do you have any advice for me? And I said, well, let me tell you what God was asking me to do. God was asking me some years ago to be, listen to these words, God was asking me and I was challenging him to be a day and night man. A day and night man. Now some of you may be asking what a day and night man is. That's the challenge for me because I knew God was saying, I need you to get grounded. I need you to understand that when storms come, you are firm, you are producing, and you are beginning to see, see me do stuff through your life. Let me tell you where it came from. I want to read to you Psalm chapter 1. I want to read just a few verses, one through three. Listen to what David says. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, here it is, listen to me, he meditates day and night. Let me just pause there for a moment. He didn't say he just simply reads. He said he meditates. I think you cannot meditate unless it's, it's, both, it's both prayer and the word. I think, that's, I think meditation combines those two things. And then this is what he goes on to say that I think is so powerful. Listen to this. He says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. 
and whatever he does prospers. Man, this is, this is emotional to me because I knew what God was asking me to do. And I, and I felt so convicted that I didn't do what God was asking me to do when he asked me to do it. But he had to literally, Proverbs 20, 30, take a painful situation to make me change my ways. That, it, that I was bitten bridle instead of counseled by just his eye movements, by the slightest movement of the master. See, what he was saying was that those that become day and night men, day and night women, you become firmly planted by streams of water. You're yielding fruit, not withering, and whatever you do will prosper. Let me make it simple to remember. The day and night man, they're planted, they're producing, and they're prospering. Listen to those words again. That's what's there. The day and night man, they're planted. They're not going anywhere. They're secure. They've got roots going down deep. They're producing. Those leaves aren't withering. It doesn't matter how bad the storms are. They're still producing. The Bible, in fact, the Bible says is that they begin to yield fruit in season. And it says they're producing whatever that man or that woman does will prosper. And I said, that was the thing that changed my life. I told that to that young Midwest pastor of exactly what God spoke to me to do. I need you to be a day and night man. I need you to be a day and night man in New York City. I needed you to be a day and night man for the rest of your life. I went back to day and night here, and this is what becomes so important. So when people ask me this question, is are, are, are what we're going through, is it the beginning of the end times? Is it apocalyptic? Is it revelation? Is it rapture? I don't know about that, but I do know it's a wake-up call, a wake-up call for me, a wake-up call for all of us. It's a time that God is giving even a wake-up call to his church, his church back to prayer. I, I want to just tell you this. I would encourage you to join us every Tuesday night for our worldwide prayer meeting. Join with Pastor Carter Conlon as he leads us and, and nations from around the world. Up to 207 different nations are joining us around the world on that prayer meeting. It may be God. Maybe God is waking you up to that. Maybe he's waking you up to the moment that we are saying, I need to pray. And maybe that's one of your nights is to join us for the, for the worldwide prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. We come on live and we're praying for needs that are coming across from all over the world, across the borders of our, of our uh, screen that we're seeing coming in live. And I want to challenge you. Maybe this is a wake-up call that God is going, I want you to be a day and night woman. I want you to be a day and night man. I, it's, it's a call and a cry to his church, to the people of God in the church. I was reading the story of a, of a Chinese pastor who recently was under great persecution and was asked his opinion as he came to America, American Christianity. And after giving full tour, listen to this, of the American megachurches all around the United States, and some he told his story, some he just visited. And they said, what is your opinion? These were his words. I'm amazed on how much the, the church in America can accomplish without the Holy Spirit. That is a wake-up call to us. How much we can accomplish without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit at Times Square Church. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. I want to cry out to him, I need you, Holy Spirit. Not because of a painful situation. I want to cry out to him because God says, just, just let me guide you on this. You need him every day, every single hour. You need the Holy Spirit. It's a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call to us individually, as a church, as a nation, as a planet. God is sending a wake-up call to us. What, what, what is it going to take for us to change? What is it going to take? 
Where, where do we land? Is it, is it the, the, the Psalm 32, 8 side on his voice or the 32, 9 side, bit and bridle? Man, I want to listen to his voice. I want to hear the voice of God. This is a wake-up call to us. I was talking to my dear friend, Dr. R.T. Kendall, who pastored the Great Church Westminster Chapel in London, and he was talking about the church waking up and thinking through this, because I don't want to sleeping when Jesus needs me to be awakened. Think, think of this. Pastor Tim, can that actually happen? H- how about this? How about Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, overcome by sleep in two of the most important occasions of Jesus' ministry? Think about this. The Mount of Transfiguration and the Garden of Gethsemane, they're sleeping in two of the most important moments of the ministry of Jesus, Gethsemane and Transfiguration. They're sleeping during this. So it is possible. And Dr. R.T. Kendall said this about a wake-up call. He said this about the characters of sleep. Listen to these three things that he said. And and these, these are so powerful. Dr. Kendall said this. Number one, we don't know we are asleep until we wake up. Now, and, and, and think of this for a moment. In the natural, like, this could be funny, but in the spiritual, this is scary. I believe that most Christians today have no idea, or churches today, that we are asleep spiritually. And we don't even know this until there's an effectual wake-up call that begins to come. I, I'm, I, I think when you tell somebody they're asleep, some people become insulted and even defensive. But the truth is that no one is aware that they're asleep until they are awakened from that sleep. That's the first thing. He said, secondly, he said, we do things. This is powerful. We do things in our sleep we would never do when we are awake. There are certain things, our mind goes certain places in our sleep that they would never go if we were awake. And this is such, so Dan, we, we will rationalize behavior in our sleep as the church that we would never begin to allow. That I think there are things that are coming that are being allowed in the churches in America today that good is being called evil and evil being called good because it's a sleeping church, because we have not heard the wake-up call. And finally, he just said this, number three, said the other characteristic of this, we hate the sound of the alarm when it goes off in the morning. We hate that sound. I want to be a man that hears the voice of God. I don't want to be a bit and bridle man. I don't want to go that way. Proverbs 20:30 reminds us, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. I want to, I want to hear his voice. I don't want to be, be my back against the wall with pain. I want to hear the voice of God. And one of the easiest places to start hearing the voice of God is by even opening up the word of God. That's so important when we have a chance even to do this. I, I, I don't want to think about God when it's a painful experience. I want to recognize his voice right now. I, I don't want to wait until there's a pandemic, until there's a quarantine, until I'm um, thinking that this is what God has to do to get me to the place that I'm supposed to be. Let's not waste this experience. Listen to these words as we close of what David said. David said this in Psalm 27, 8. When you said, God, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. That's a Psalm 32, 8, man. You spoke, I did it, Lord God. That's a man that didn't need a painful experience. When you spoke, 
That's what I did. One version, the New Living Translation says it like this. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. God's voice was enough. God can shut down a planet to get his voice clear. But I just want to be a man that hears his voice. Millions of people every day, think about this for a second. Millions of people every day are hearing the gospel ring out on the streets of London every single day. The most famous clock in all the world is Big Ben, right there in London, England. And did you know that every quarter of an hour, the gospel is proclaimed through the chimes of Big Ben? They play a song on every quarter of an hour from from Handel's Messiah and the section that says, I know my Redeemer lives. That's what's played every day throughout the streets of London. I know my Redeemer lives. And people just keep walking on. People just keep going about their business. And God is shouting to the world, you can know that your Redeemer lives. You can know your Redeemer lives. You can know that. Big Ben is declaring it every day. He's declaring the redemptive death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we don't think that way. And sometimes God goes, it's going to take a painful experience to make us change our ways. Even right now, some of you may be hearing his voice. Like David, like we just read, our heart is hearing him say, come talk with me. And will you respond today? Lord, I'm coming. Lord, I'm coming. Let's not respond when our back is against the wall. Let's respond as his voice is ringing out. Maybe while you're sitting there listening to this today, you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to you. If you're a Christian, maybe he's speaking to you. I want more time. I want you to fix this. I want you to get this relationship right. I want you to apologize. I want you to forgive. I want you to give. I want you to make a change in this area. I, I, I don't want to be a bitten bridle man. I want to be a voice man. I want to be, I'm counseled by his eyes. I want to be a Psalm 32, 8 man. I don't want him to need a painful experience to change my ways. I want to listen to what the spirit of God is saying now. How about you? But maybe you're here and you're listening today. Someone may have shared this, this um, uh, service with you and you started to listen to it today. And maybe God is speaking to you today. The Bible tells us that in every one of our hearts, eternity is there. In the book of Ecclesiastes, eternity is in every one of our hearts. That when someone starts talking about a relationship with God and talking about eternity, something inside of our hearts goes, that's right, that's right. And today, I believe, just like that verse, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And now the challenge is, Will you say, Lord, I'm coming. Lord, I'm coming is really just saying to God, I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. God, I, I want my life changed. I, I, don't, I don't need a religion. Religion tells me to go to church. Religion puts me in a synagogue or a mosque. But a relationship which says, you speak with me every single day. You talk with me every single day. That's what I want. The Lord is coming, saying, saying, he's speaking right now. I I, I want you to do this, not with bit and bridle, but I want you to respond to what the spirit of God is even saying to you right now. And if I can just help you 
to understand how important this is. God's saying to you, will you respond to say, Lord, I'm coming. Your, your next words may just simply be, Pastor Tim, how does, how does that happen? How do I have that relationship with Jesus? How do I do that? If I, if I was to simply ask you the question, how do you get to heaven? How, how, how do you, how, you knew, when you die, when you die, how do you know you're going to heaven? Some say, well, I was water baptized. Some say I tried communion. Some said going to church, being good. I was confirmed. Um, my parents brought me up in the church. And all these are good things, but that's not what Jesus said. This is so important. Jesus said this. Jesus said in John 3, 3 and John 3, 5, that when you hear me calling you, this is what Jesus said. No man, no woman, no person will ever enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. In fact, Jesus said in John 3, 5, you must be born again, which means you can't make optional what God says or Jesus says is a necessity. Don't make must your preference, a personal preference. It's not. Born again is not a Times Square church word. It's not a Protestant, a Catholic word. It's not a religious word. It is a Jesus word. And it's how Jesus described the relationship that he wants with you today. Because some of you are hearing that voice that says, I, come and talk to me, come be with me. And you're wanting to respond, Lord, I'm coming. And Jesus calls that relationship being born again. What he was saying was the reason why he uses that is this. He says, just as you had a first birth, in a hospital and born, you need a second birth, a spiritual birth. The first place you needed a hospital, the second one, you, it, it doesn't even have to happen in a church. When, the church. when the church doors are closed, it doesn't mean God is inactive. It, you can be born again right in your very home, right in your car, right in your backyard, in your kitchen. You can be born again right now. Well, Pastor Tim, how, how does that happen? It's as simple as ABC. Those three letters, which we tell kindergarten or preschool children about learning the simplicity, the foundational elements, I, can't, I want to make it as simple as I can for you to understand. It's A, admitting, A, admitting that I'm a sinner. That in every single one of our lives, everyone, starting with me, we all have a condition called sin. And we can't fix it ourselves. Every one of us has been born into sin. Nobody is born a floor model. Listen to me, assembly required on each of us. And the only one that knows where the parts go and how to fix us to what we're supposed to be is Jesus himself. I wish that a pastor can fix me or a priest can fix me, a program can fix me, or me even making promises to God, none of that can fix us. I'm broken inside the diagnosis is sin, and I have to admit that. That's the condition that I have. One pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth that's born again. And then the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son to die for me. That that, that, that cross was supposed to be my place. See, it doesn't make sense to me, and, and no, it doesn't to you, that if I could fix myself, then why would God have to send a son? That in order to get to heaven, in order to be forgiven of my sin, God goes, just do better. Then why would he have to send a son to go through the cruel crucifixion and suffering that he did if I can fix me, 
if I'm the one just to, to go ahead and, and, and work my way to heaven. Doesn't, it, it, it's impossible. It just doesn't happen. If, if I could fix myself by being good, then Jesus would never have to die on the cross. But he did die. He died the death I should have died. And he lived the life I couldn't live and, and gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't even deserve. A is admitting I'm a sinner. B, believing that Jesus died in my place. He was my sin bearer. He was the one who took the, the, pay, the, the, the penalty that was supposed to come to me and finally confessing him as Lord. That is such a huge word because that word Lord actually means you're in charge. You're the boss. To be born again is not saying I'm religious, I'm coming to a place. It means I'm coming to a person. It means, God, you have veto rights in my life. What you say, go. You don't have to lead me by bit and bridle. Your voice is enough for me. See, Romans 10, 9, and 10 talks about confessing him as Lord to say you're the one in charge of my life now. Jesus did not die on the cross to simply get us in church for an hour and a half or to get us to watch church online for an hour and a half every single Sunday. Jesus died on the cross is to get us to live forever with him. Remember, this, remember the song Ali sang just before we, we, we um, ended wor- the first worship time when she sang, what a beautiful name. She sang these words, you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. That's exactly what he's doing. He made eternity, not for him. He made it for us. But to get there, it's admitting I'm a sinner. Believing that Jesus, you made the only way for me to get there and see confessing you as Lord. I want to ask you a question today. Is have you been born again? The most important question anybody could ever ask you. Have you been born again? You you hear his voice. You hear him speaking to you. You hear him talking to you right now. Or will you wait for the painful experience to make us change our ways? Or will you respond to the voice right now? Proverbs 20, 30, let me say it again. Will you wait for a painful experience? Will prayer, being born again, changed? Will it be the spare tire or will it be the steering wheel? Today, let it be the steering wheel. If you're here and you listen to my voice today and say, Pastor Tim, today I want my life changed. Today I want the relationship that you're talking about. I want to be born again. I don't want to wait for a painful experience. But today I hear his voice. It's that, it's that Psalm 27. The Lord said, come, I want to speak to you. And you said, Lord, I'm coming. Today, this is the Lord I'm coming. This is I'm coming to you today. We've been praying for you. We've been praying that this is the day of salvation for you. This is the day to be born again. And it can happen right now. Let me tell you what I want to do. If you're here, if you're, if you're listening right now and you're going, Pastor Tim, I want to be born again. I want to start that brand new relationship. But, I, but man, I'm just not perfect. Exactly. None of us are. Listen, perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And today could start a journey that starts today and leads you all the way into eternity. That you will know today, I am forgiven He is Lord of my life. And when life is over, my life is just beginning. Pastor Tim, what do I need to do? I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. You just let it come from your heart. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And if that's you, say, Pastor Tim, I want to pray that prayer. This is what I want you to do. Wherever you're at, you could be whispering the words, saying the words. 
I don't care if you're shouting the words. But what you're doing is you're responding. God is saying, come speak with me. And you're responding, Lord, I'm coming now. This is the now. This is the time. And if that's you, would you just close your eyes if you're able to? And would you just whisper these words and pray these words with me? Come on, say these with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen.